Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. There are people out there that clamor for things, and there are other people out there that want to hold on to things like we can hold on to, to, to the things that we've amassed in this life. The moment we draw our last breath, it all goes to somebody else. And here's the kicker, you may not even like them. How come? Because the money is only good for our carnality. We all understand that what good is is a million dollars if I don't if I'm not gonna be around to enjoy it, right? I mean that's the perspective that we have to have. Money is only good if we can use it to feed our carnal man's desires. And I don't care how much importance we may place on money while we're here on this earth, no one can spend it after they've died. Chapter 73, verse 1. I'm going to talk about the sanctuary today. Uh, Chapter 73 of Psalms, verse 1. The psalmist uh, Asaph, he he wrote this. This was not a psalm that was written by David, but, but by Asaph. And this is what he said. Truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. And I just want to teach a lesson that I've entitled The Sanctuary. Thank God for the sanctuary. Amen. The sanctuary is a safe haven. The sanctuary is a place that we can come and, and, and find ourselves in a place of, of learning, find our pla- a place of understanding. And, and I know we'll never understand all there is to know about God, but I do know this, that God wants us to understand enough to know that it is better to serve Him than serve self. There's something about the sanctuary. Amen. 
where we get our understanding. You may be seated today. God bless you. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the writer of this of this particular chapter uh, by the name of Asaph. Um, Asaph seems a little conflicted here if you if you read this scripture, and we quote this part of this chapter quite a bit, you know. For me, my feet almost stumbled. My uh, steps had nearly slipped. We, we quote that a lot. We also quote, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. You hear me quote those two scriptures quite a bit, because there's a lot of truth in this particular portion of scripture. I, I think that Asaph, um, to me, reminds me a lot of, of a lot of people who are in the right place, doing the right thing, but but maybe they don't have a full comprehension, a full understanding of, of why certain things happen in this life. What, what one of us hasn't had somebody come up to us and say, how can God let, let this happen or let that happen in this world? How, how, how can a God that proclaims a love allow, you know, uh, a, a child to be killed or, or a good person? We all have those things uh, uh, in our life where we, we can't fully comprehend why. We can't fully comprehend what God is doing. And I believe that Asaph was in a place where he felt that conflict going on of his understanding and of what he has seen and what he has experienced. But to understand that, you need to know a little bit about Asaph. Asaph was a, an official. He had served under King David. Uh, and as King David had passed off the scene, now we have King Solomon and Asaph was still serving under King Solomon. He was a Levite, and Asaph was in charge of part of the ministry uh, uh, in the temple of, of music. He was a singer and a songwriter in Solomon's temple. As a matter of fact, when Solomon's temple was uh, eventually uh, completed, and they had the dedication service, if you go to the Bible, you'll find out where Asaph was in charge of the dedication of this masterpiece of a temple that Solomon had built over many, many years. Asaph found himself being an insider. He was on the inside of things. He was kind of in an inner circle. And so with that, uh, he saw the inner workings of the temple. He saw uh, the royalty, the inner workings of the royalty, and he was aware of many of the things that went on behind the scenes that not just the average person was privy to. And sometimes that, that's a great thing, but there are times that if we're not spiritually uh, mature enough, if we're not in a place where our relationship with God is not uh, uh, on a stable foundation, when we get our eyes fixed and we become, uh, uh, find ourselves on the inside of certain inner workings of, of certain things, it can be to our spiritual detriment. It's hard to handle because I'm telling you this right now, a lot of times when we set our eyes and our, uh, our ears and uh, we set our minds upon people that are in this world that we admire, we'll find ourselves falling because men are susceptible to failure. I have seen all too often people that have served the Lord, they've had more of a love relationship with a pastor or a preacher or a certain ministry than they had with God. And when they, when they found out certain things about that pastor, that preacher, uh, it has destroyed them on their spiritual level. 
They've not been able to, to handle it, and, and, and that, that has always hurt me, and that's why I've never uh, strived to build this church on my own personality. Thank God I have a little bit of personality. I, I think that that plays a role in things. You have to be somewhat likable. I mean, I, I hope that you kind of like me uh, every once in a while. But, but if we just build upon a personality, if you're only here because of me and you admire me or you admire another preacher or, or another saint in this church and you don't get connected to God, you can find yourself in the same place that Asaph found himself where he's looking at men and he's seeing that they're full of failures and he's seeing that they're not God and he's finding himself in a place where he's confused over what is going on. We must be grounded spiritually to God. We must be connected to Him first and foremost over any other personality in this world. I don't care how anointed the man of God might be. Your relationship, even though maybe you came to God through another person, that's usually the way God works it. You are not to be connected to them. You are not to be solely in a place where you're dependent on your spiritual, your spiritual life cannot be dependent upon another man. It has to be dependent upon God. Yes. So Asaph writes this song. That's what a psalm is. It's a song. He, he writes this psalm as a reminder to us all that in this life we will come across a lot of things that just don't seem fair. If you look around, you'll see wicked people prospering. You may see a a place of ill repute or a business that that uh, that that serves you know uh, evil, uh, and the guy may come out and hop in his brand new BMW uh, and, and drive up to his half million dollar home and and with a big smile on his face and his wallet is loaded and and it seems like everything is going his way. That's just the way the world sometimes works. You may uh, see things that seem unjust. You may see good people suffer and you may see bad people that seem to get ahead in this life and Asaph was seeing all of this stuff he said I've looked at the wicked and I've watched how they prosper it seems like they don't have a care in the world I've watched as as evil people seem to get by with things that I know is wrong and how does that take place what's fair and what's just about that how can I how can I comprehend all these things in my my mind that just don't seem to be fair. He fell into the well-laid trap of starting to see things through the eyes of carnality instead of spirituality. Lesson number one, when you start feeling confused about what you're seeing to the point that you begin to question God, it's time to reestablish what eyes you're looking out of. Are we looking out of carnal eyes or are we looking out of spiritual eyes? Are we looking at things through the, through the eyes of God? Because if you want to talk about fair, it wasn't fair. Calvary wasn't fair. 
If we want to talk about fair, the one single person who never sinned gave his life for all of us on a chance. He wasn't even guaranteed that you would live for him or that you would serve him or that you would accept him. He went to Calvary and he gave his life on a cross on the mere chance that you might say yes. Christians that see things through carnal eyes never have a stability in their walk with God because they're constantly being distracted by things that seem unfair and unjust and to the point where they begin to think, does anything really even matter? Is it even worth living this way? Is it even worth serving God at all? When I see people that are doing wicked things, getting by with it, what's the point? And Asaph was struggling with this. He was very honest here. Three indicators that I've perceived of carnal vision. The first is time spent with God becomes a chore. That's the first indicator that we're looking through carnal eyes. We don't look at at prayer as something to be longed for. We look at prayer as something to be endured. We start looking at our watches and, 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 you know, it feels like an hour, but it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> Anybody else ever prayed like that? Sure. We, we've all, we've all been there. We've all been to the place, uh, uh where we, we feel like, you know, just, is this ever going to end? We're just trying to punch the clock. That's the first indicator that, that we're looking at things through carnal vision. Number two, church attendance begins to suffer as we strive to keep up with the world. Amen. Uh, we, we, we strive to uh, have things that the world has. We try to keep up with our neighbor. We try to keep up with those that are around us. We look at everything that everybody else has, and we start longing for those things to the point where it seems like church, you know, that, that can be put on the back burner. We can set that aside. Anybody else see that meme? I, I, it, it's been a while since I've seen it. You know the whole Kermit the Frog uh, memes that are out there where he's sipping the tea? They're always funny. <laughs> They're great. They're great. But they have a point behind them. And, and I saw one about uh, a month ago where he's sitting there and he's sipping on the tea. And he says, uh, he says, so God blessed you with that job that doesn't allow you to be in church? <laughs> Now, I understand people, people have to work sometimes, and there's, there's some you're called on. But I'm talking about people that make a living out of doing this. I'm not talking about somebody that, that has an emergency or somebody that has something that they have to take care of, something they have to catch up on, or you're just forcing and you have to work a certain time. But, but don't you ever say that God blessed you with a job that keeps you out of his house. The carnal view, number three, the carnal view will cause tithing to become a a very difficult issue for you, and it will rob God of the ability to bless you. So our prayer life suffers, our church attendance suffers, and and our willingness to give to the Lord suffers. If any one of these things is taking place in your life, you need to stop and reevaluate some things. But if all three are, friend, it's time to totally 
uh, revamp our way of thinking. It's time to come to, we need a, just a spiritual overhaul in our life. If we've got all three of those things going on in our life, something is definitely spiritually wrong in us. And we need to have an understanding that there is going to come a day when everything that we've amassed down here, when everything that we've accumulated down here, it's all going to belong to somebody else. Here's a question just for perspective here to, this morning. If I had the ability to pull out my, my, my checkbook today and write a checkout for a million dollars, who, by the show of hands, would, would receive that if I said, you know what, I've been really blessed. I want to give you a million dollars. Would you raise your hand if you'd receive that from me? I haven't had this much cooperation and participation. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that to get the, the altars full. Everybody that, that will come down to the altar gets, uh, gets a little cash prize. We'd have full altars, wouldn't we? <laughs> okay, but let me, let, me put, let me put a little caveat on that. Okay, say I had the ability to give you that million-dollar check, but here's the thing. In order for you to, to, to receive it from me, you only had 24 hours to live. You, were, you would have to sacrifice your life for some other cause. Would you, still, would you still receive that check? Would you still take that check? All of a sudden, we don't have quite as many hands. How come? Because the money is only good for our carnality. We all understand that what good is is a million dollars if I don't if I'm not going to be around to enjoy it, right? I mean that's the perspective that we have to have. Money is only good if we can use it to feed our carnal man's desires, and I don't care how much importance we may place on money while we're here on this earth, no one can spend it after they've died. There was a man that had worked all his life and saved as much money as he possibly could. He was a real cheapskate, kind of guy that I can, can kind of relate to. When it came to his money, he loved money more than just about anything. And, and just before he died, he said to his wife, he said, honey, come here. I, I need to talk to you. He said, now listen, when, when I die... I want you to take all my money and I want you to place it in the casket with me because I want to take all my money into the afterlife. She's like, honey, that's not going to work. He said, no, you promised me. I, you have to promise me that you're going to take all my money. I've worked all these years. It's, I've loved it. I've looked after it. I've cared for it. And when I die, I'm going to take it with me. So he got his wife to promise him, crossed her heart, hope to die, the whole works. When he died, she was going to put all the money in the casket with him. And then the day finally came that he did indeed die. Her husband stretched out on the casket, in the casket. And the wife was sitting there in the black dress next to her husband. When they finished the ceremony just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife said, wait a minute. She had a shoebox with her, and she came over with the box and 
She placed it down in the casket next to her husband. She said, okay, go ahead. The funeral director come up. They made the arrangements and closed the lid of that casket. Her friend said, I, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all that money in there with that stingy old man. She said, well, that's what I promised I'd do. I, I'm a good Christian. I, I can't lie. I, I promised him that I was going to put that money in the casket with him. The friend said, you're telling me that all that money that your husband had, that you put that in that shoebox and you put that in that casket with him? She said, I sure did. She said, I got it all together. I put it all in my account and I wrote him out a check. The moral of the story is this. The moment we die, everything that we've ever had will belong to somebody else. Sometimes before you actually die. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even make it, and they're already fighting and scrapping over, over what, you, what you got. I got this, and I got that. My mom's got this beautiful old radio that's, that's uh, in, in her house that is not worth very much, but, uh, but that's a one, the, the one thing that I would like to have, and she knows that I've always admired that, and she said, why don't you go ahead and take that? Why don't you? I said, Mom, I, no, I, I, it just feels weird to me to take something from somebody that's not gone yet. I don't want to take that yet. But there are people out there that clamor for things. And there are other people out there that want to hold on to things like we can hold on to, to, to the things that we've amassed in this life. The moment we draw our last breath, it all goes to somebody else. And here's the kicker. You may not even like them. Asaph struggled to the point that in his own admission, he states, I almost slipped. I almost was gone. I was so envious of the things that I saw wicked people have. If they had had it back then, he would have wrote, I'm so envious of the Beamer that, that uh, so-and-so is driving. And I'm so envious of the nice house that so-and-so lives in. He, he looked at things that the wicked had and he said, I almost backslid because I looked at what the evil people had. And I said, what's the point? Here I am serving God. Here I am trying to do the right things. And I look around me and I'm struggling. I'm grieving. I'm having problems. I'm sad. There's times when I don't have a, a grasp on what's going on in this life. And I look at somebody that's wicked and they just seem to be living the life of Riley. They seem to be living in ease. They've got everything they want. And I look at everything that they have and I say, why can't I have those things? They're not struggling like I'm struggling. Read that entire chapter. Read it real slow and, and put yourself in the story. Asaph is looking at him. He's saying they're corrupt and they speak evil things, and yet they speak evil things with authority. Anybody, anybody, can anybody relate to that? I mean, we see evil all around us, but man, I'll tell you what, it seems like evil has a, has the, a golden tongue. They're not afraid to talk, and, and there's people out there that will buy into the way you're saying something rather than what it is that you're saying. If you say it enough times and with enough authority, people will buy into it. 
And this is what he was dealing with. He said, they're wrong, but they speak with such authority and they speak with such boldness. He said, I can't understand why people would even listen to them, but they do. And it seems so unjust. They have no regard for God. They have no regard for values. And yet it seems that the more they serve themselves, the richer they become. And Asaph is describing the world in which we live. It's not so different than the world in which he lived in. Now, this is not in the King James Version. This is just my version. Asaph said, I've had it. It's pointless. It's just not fair. Maybe nothing matters at all. But then thank God the story doesn't end there. Because he goes on in the last verse to say this. They almost had me. (laughs) And they probably would have had me, except when the Sabbath day came, Instead of staying home and wallowing in my self-pity, instead of staying home, I, I, for the life of me, I can't get the mentality that when somebody is going through a hardship or, or a problem or trouble, that they think that their answer is to just stay home instead of come to church. Well, you don't know the kind of week I've had all the more reason to get yourself to church. Well, you don't know what I've been through and what I'm struggling with and the conflict and the questions that I have. All the more reason to get yourself to church. Is that all right if I be the pastor today? Yes. Glory to God. Asaph said this. Boy, I about bought the ticket. I about took the train ride. He said, but right before I stepped on board, I looked at the destination of where that train was headed. And I said, whoa, not so fast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step over here and go into the house of the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, I, I, I didn't stay home. I didn't wallow in self-pity. When the day came, when Sabbath day came, I got myself up. I got myself dressed. And I went to Sabbath. I went to church. I went to sanctuary. And it was in the house of God that my eyes were adjusted to where they needed to be. And I saw clearly that this life is a life that is fleeting. This life is is soon going to be over. And I saw their end as well, that even though today it may seem like they've got the world on a string, it may seem like they've got everything in the palm of their hand, but I saw where the train was headed that they were on, and I didn't want to go where they were going. I wanted to make sure that my end was a good end and not a destructive end. Everybody comes to the end. The only ones that will not see the end of life will be those that are alive when the rapture of the church takes place. What a great generation that would be. Quite honestly, I didn't think we'd still be here now. I thought, you know, back when I was early 20s, I thought five or six years at the most. But, you know, here, here we are. 
Here we are, and we're, we're getting ready in just about a year, a little over a year, to hit 2020. Time just continues on, and, and pastoring, you know, it's never more uh, relevant in my mind that when I stand behind a pulpit and I speak the last words over somebody, uh, as we did last week. Now, Brother Harold Chapman, he was 97 years old, and, and we look at a man like that, and we think, what a great long life that that man lived, and, and the Lord finally took him home, and we can kind of wrap our minds around that, but sometimes we're here uh, with like uh, the other funeral with Brother David Barton, who was 59 years old and, and had just uh, recently been remarried again, and and everything seemed to be going his way, and they were enjoying life, and he had this new wife and this newfound happiness, and all these things were going on, and then poof, in a moment, he was just ushered into eternity. It's a little bit harder to grasp those things. The simple truth is, life comes to an end for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're a pauper or a prince. The richest amongst us, their money cannot buy life ever, everlasting. We all come to the end of life. And Asaph said, I saw what their end was to be. He had this epiphany. You ever had you ever had one of those moments where just all of a sudden you just get it? It's like that was right in front of me, and I, I couldn't see it. I, I can remember being a kid, and, and uh, uh, I had this mini bike, and, and this mini bike was, was my life. I mean, I, I, the first thing I did was hop on that mini bike every single morning. I'd ride all around the neighborhood in a little two-stroke, you know, nee, 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 little annoying-sounding mini bike. And, and, and the other thing about it was uh, when I drove past the neighbor's house, it always messed up their TV, something about that little engine. Would, would be caught in their antenna and their TV would fuzz out every time I drove by. So the neighbors hated me, you know. Uh, and I would, I would ride that mini bike up and down because my dad only gave me certain places that I could ride it around in our yard and then up and down the, the, the one little road across the street. And so those poor neighbors had to deal with me time and time and time again. And, and uh, uh, that mini bike would just the way I started the day, the way that I ended the day. And, and one day it, it, I hopped on it and it wouldn't start. I was like, what is going on with this thing? I, it drive me crazy. I cranked it and cranked it and cranked it. Wouldn't start. It always started before. And so I got the dad's tools out and I took the, the spark plug out and I, you know, I, I bled the little carburetor down on the, on, on the backside of it. And I, I was doing all these different things and checking everything out and testing switches out the best I could. I was about 10, 11 years old, but I kind of knew my way around the shop because my dad, you know, was a mechanic. He was a good mechanic. We had all the tools and I'd watched him and I, I did everything I could figure out. And that, that, uh, that little mini bike would not start up for me. And, and I, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. It seemed to have spark in the plug. The carburetor seemed to be working okay. And switches all seemed to be fine. I couldn't figure out what was going on with this thing. And there that mini bike set for like a month. Four or five weeks it sat out there. And I'd go out every once in a while, see if it'd start up again. Make sure I had, you know, go through the whole routine. Make sure the switch was on. Try everything. Maybe it'll start up today. Maybe there's just something kind of clogging a line or something like that. And I couldn't figure out what was going on until one night, in the middle of the night, my eyes popped open. Somebody said it. 
you stole my thunder. My eyes popped open. I said, you big dope, go check the gas tank. (laughs) I had an epiphany. I went out there bone dry, bone dry. I poured a little gas in that gas tank, gave it about three kicks and up it started and I was annoying the neighbors all over again. Asaph, it dawned on him when he went to the house of the Lord. It's, it's more than just about the here and now. It's more than just about who dies with the most toys wins. It's more than that. There's something greater than that. He had an aha moment, and it rocked his world. Changed his way of thinking. Many of you have heard of the famous Walendus family probably most well-known for their, uh, their ability to be some of the greatest tightrope walkers in the world. There's a man by the name of Warren Bennis that wrote a book, and uh, part of his book was the story of Carl Walendis, who was one of the most famous of that family, about how something he noticed about Carl, he, he said, you know, it always amazed him at Carl's ability to remain focused on the rope. He said, man, that guy could be, there could be wind blowing, there could be this and that happening, there could be uh, birds flying, all these different distractions. But he said, I noticed Carl was just completely focused and concentrated on the rope. He said, it amazed me at his ability to remain focused no matter what was going on around him. That's why just a few months later, when Carl Walendis fell to his death uh, walking between two high-rise buildings in San Juan, Puerto Rico, with no net underneath him, that it shocked Bennis. He couldn't believe that this man had, had fallen because he had watched him in his intentness with the tightrope. And so he went and he spoke with Carl's wife, And he asked her if she could explain what happened. And this is what she said. She said, Carl, for the first time that she could ever recall, had begun concentrating on falling more than balancing. Said he'd even personally inspected the attachment of the guide wires, and he had never done that before. You see, what happened was, Carl lost his ability to remain focused on the one thing that he had to walk in order for his life to remain. And he began getting distracted upon falling instead of walking. There's a lesson to be learned here for all of us as our music comes today. It's a lesson that Asaph, in different words, basically said the same thing. He said, I lost my focus. I lost my focus on my walk. And I began to look at what it might be like to fall. Carl Walendis had always been successful because he didn't let anything distract him from that tightrope. 
But when he began to concentrate on something other than the rope, it wasn't very long before his fate was sealed. Often the difference between spiritual success or failure is what we choose to stay focused on. There's a lot of distractions out there, folks. There's a lot of things that vie for our attentions. A lot of things that vie for our time. There's a lot of things that whisper in your ear, is it really worth it? Is church really that important? Is serving God really, really going to pay off? Stay focused. It's a tight rope that you're walking. The Bible says narrow is the way. Yes. Narrow is the way, and sometimes it seems so narrow that you feel like you're walking on that tight rope. The way is narrow, but the end thereof, that way leads to eternal life. It's a broad way that leads to destruction. we close this lesson today I would just remind us to take a lesson from Asaph don't look elsewhere for counsel don't look elsewhere for spiritual strength don't look around you don't look to the internet or self-help books those things they have their place but understand where your priorities need to be the word of God is forever settled everything else changes everything else is unstable but the word of God has promises for those that latch on to it and we 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 hear that word of God preached and spoken to us over and over again in the house of the Lord would you stand with me this morning The Bible says, I look to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. One last portion of scripture I'll leave you with today. Found in Jude, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Anybody want not to fall? Anybody want to make it to the end of this race? we do to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever amen what's the importance of the sanctuary The sanctuary is where you're fed. The sanctuary is where the Word of God is preached. The sanctuary is where you rub shoulders with people that are going through the same problems that oftentimes that you're going through. The sanctuary is where we find strength. The sanctuary is where we can come and get refocused. Our safety is in the sanctuary. By its very definition, it's a place of safety. It's a harbor. 
from the raging storms of this world. And today I want you to know I'm thankful that we have a sanctuary that we can go to. Sanctuary in Him. Would you bow your heads today? Precious Savior, we thank you today, God, for your love, your tender mercies. We thank you, God, for this house of worship where we are able to gather together and worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that today, Lord, that you would help us to understand the importance, God, of this place. Help us understand, God, Lord, that your presence is here to meet us, that you're only more than too happy. God, to meet us at the point of our needs. Keep our minds upon you. Keep our focus upon you, God. Let us love your house. Let us love to worship you until the day that you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.